Turn with me tonight to John chapter 3. Tonight I would like to look at the new birth. Um, I usually like to have one message on something to do with the new birth because sometimes people can wonder where they fit in the preaching of the word and I think we need to need to always keep in mind that there may be those that have never experienced a new birth and it's an interesting concept. John chapter 3, and we're going to read the first 21 verses. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. I just wonder if you've ever pondered that response of Jesus to the question that was posed to him, or to the statement that was posed to him. The statement was, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And then he adds to that, and Jesus says, well, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Kind of just an interesting, I, I find that a little interesting. Jesus kind of cuts to the chase many times. He just goes to where he knows someone, what someone needs to hear. We have to understand that Jesus is God, and he understood Nicodemus' heart as well. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man is born, be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Stop reading there. Tonight, if you are feeling condemned, there is no reason for it. Okay? And we all can feel condemned at certain times. We just as I was talking with the children here, you know, we make a wrong decision, we do something that was really dumb, and we feel condemned for it, um, or whatever. But there's no, there's no reason for condemnation, actually. 
we might, we might at times get the feeling or we might meet people that say, you know, God is condemning. He says, I can't do anything. I can, I can only do this and this and not other things that I want to do. And that condemns me. But there's no point, there's no reason to be in a condemned state any time in our life because that's not even why Christ came. Christ came not to condemn the world, but to save the world so that through him we could be saved. He didn't come to condemn us. Now, whenever you have truth revealed, whenever you have righteousness revealed, then unrighteousness becomes uncomfortable, all right? So we get that condemning spirit of feeling. Interesting concept here that uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we, we know the account of the, of the wilderness story when the children were bitten by the serpents, when children of Israel were bitten by the serpents, and God told Moses to make a brazen serpent, put it up in a pole, and whoever would go, whoever was bitten, instead of dying, they could go and they could have enough faith to look at that brazen serpent on the pole, and they would be healed. They would not die. And it was a type of Christ. And, you know, we know that. But it says in verse 15 that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. In many ways, we today, human beings always, all, in all, all of time, in past, present, and future, human beings are the same, in the same condition as those people were that were bit by a venomous snake. We have limited time to live. But if we look to Jesus who is lifted up on the tree lifted up on that pole as Moses put the serpent on the pole. Um, if we look to him in faith, we could be healed and not have to die. And that is talking about a spiritual death, of course. Nicodemus says, how can you be born again? And this is why we call it the new birth or the second birth. Because it is not a second physical birth. We are all only born one time physically. We are born of our mother into this earth and here we are. As human beings. But because of sin, and we'll be looking at, at that in a little bit, because of sin, we are condemned spiritually. And so we can be born anew in the spirit. Jesus said it very clearly there when he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So you're all sitting here tonight in the flesh. If you were not alive in the flesh tonight, then you would be in the graveyard, wherever that is. <clears throat> okay? There's only two options for the human body. It's either alive or it is dead, the human flesh. There's only two options for the spirit as well. It is either alive in Christ or it is dead, away, apart from Christ. So it's really not a hard concept. The gospel message is, is such an amazing, amazingly simple, basic message that young, younger children can understand and yet, it's so complex and so, and so profound that uh, higher learned people have troubles getting it, right? Because it's so simple but so profound. We're going to look at three, uh, four different questions that we're going to try to answer here tonight, at least to some extent, about the new birth. Uh, what are the requirements? How does it happen? When does it happen? And what are the results? Um, first of all, it doesn't matter who, who you are, who I am, who we are, or who our parents are. At the cross, we are all equal. 
Okay, it doesn't matter who your parents are, what kind of upbringing you had, doesn't matter if you had the best training. If, if you had the best Christian training, that's possible here on this earth. It doesn't make a difference. You still are inherited, you still have inherited at birth the sin nature of the human nature. And it also doesn't matter if you have lived the most wicked life, you still have the sin nature and you still need salvation, a new birth in the spirit in order to be able to see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What are the requirements of the new birth? Well, the very first thing probably, one of the first things that has to happen is we have to understand or we have to realize our sinful state. I'm going to read a little bit out of Romans 3. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, I'll begin reading at verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No and no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are, all together, they are, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So it doesn't matter where you were raised, how you were raised, if you were raised in a Christian home or not, those all have their advantages. Lots of these things have their advantages, but they don't change the simple fact that apart from Christ, we are sinful by nature. And we need to realize that sinful state. You might say, well, it's not fair. I never had a chance. Well, that's true, I guess, but I don't, I can't speak to that. Um, you know, Adam and Eve were, were created perfect beings. And they sinned. And the sin nature came into the human race through that act of sin in their life. And from that point on, man needed salvation from that sinful state. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Death is upon all because of sin. And death is sin's unchangeable result. James 1 verse 15 says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The consequences of sin is to be forsaken by God. And it, is, it has its root in the sinful nature of man. So we have to first understand or come to grips with the fact that I am not such a good person after all. In my own strength. I am not. I am sinful by nature. I have, I have a need. And that need is. I have a need of salvation. And I might mention. I kind of mentioned this. But. You know. We, ha we are in a sinful state. Not because of all the bad things that we have done necessarily. But because of our human condition. The fact that we're sitting here tonight, you're sitting there, I'm standing, but the fact that we're here tonight in the human form is an indication that we have a, we have a need because we're human. 
and we have the human nature. And the human nature then is, is in us, okay? Hopefully the Holy Spirit is within us too. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. So, the requirement, one of the requirements is that we must realize our sinful state. Another requirement is that we must die to self. And, and it's hard to get these in order. As I'm going through these, you might think, well, that's part of, yeah, the new birth or whatever. But we're looking at the requirements for the new birth here. And uh, these things all need to happen at some level in order for us to get to the place where we're ready for that rejuvenation inside through the Holy Spirit. We must die to self. Romans 5.12 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all, that all have sinned. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that he dies daily. He said, I die daily. And that really is the, the ultimate result of, of the new birth, is that we need to continue to die to self because this human flesh is within us and it continues to be there. John 12, 24, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So we, we need to die to self. We have to be willing to give up self. You're never going to be able to experience the new birth if you don't want to let go of this person and this person's desires and this person's likes and dislikes and this person and the flesh desire, fleshly desires that this person contains, we all have it. It might be different from person, person to person. But every human being has fleshly desires, things that they want to do, things that they would love to do. And we have to be able to give that up. Now, sometimes when we give things up, God gives it back. But he won't give us sinful things back. So we have to be willing to die to self and it ties right into the next one. We have to be willing to deny self. Um, Luke 9. A couple of verses there in Luke 9 where Jesus talks about denying self. <clears throat> Luke 9 verse 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels." We must take up the cross of Christ, which in essence, I believe, is self-denial. It's this person going into the background, getting, getting rid of this person, and putting Christ on the throne, denying self. That's taking up the cross. I, our cross in life is not some sickness that comes on us or some difficulty in life. And, that, and then we hear people say, I guess it's my cross to carry. Well... You can say that if you want, but it's not this cross, okay? I'm convinced that it's not this cross. This cross that Jesus says that we're supposed to deny self, take up his cross. The cross that Christ bore was a cross of death. It killed Christ. 
Okay, he hung on the cross till he was dead. And so it's death to self, it's self-denial. We must follow Christ, we must take up the cross, we must follow after Christ, and we must not be ashamed of Christ. We'll have a little bit more about that later, I believe. A fourth thing that has to happen, and I'm not sure that there's an order to these things, but as a requirement, is that we have to have faith. A certain amount of faith has to be had in order for us to attain or get to this place of the new birth. Hebrews 1.1 says that faith is substance and evidence of the unseen. Okay? Faith is not believing something that you already know. Faith is believing something that you don't know and you can't see and you can't actually prove it. You can't get out the calculator or you can't, you know, you can't get out the science book. You can't academically prove. I can't stand here tonight and prove to you that the new birth is what the Bible says it is. I can't prove it another way other than using the scripture itself. I can't. Unless... You're going to be able to look at my life and I can look at your life after the new birth. Then comes the proof through the person and their life as the Holy Spirit indwells. <clears throat> Romans 10, 9 through 13, I don't think I'll turn to that, but talks about that concept of having faith. We must call out to him, to Jesus. Jesus will never force us. I mentioned that the other. And then we must be committed. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We had in our devotional last night. I don't think I'll read that either. But, you know, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We need to be committed. So maybe sometimes... It's not so much, I mean, yes, we need to get saved, however that takes place. That sometimes for some people is a bit of a process. And for other people, it's very, a very momentous event, boom. But we know that it happened, okay? But sometimes maybe we need to get saved, but, but we need to stay saved too. It's more than just being saved. It's not a once and done event where I'm, I'm saved now and I can just go on with life. But we need to be committed. And then we need to come to the end of self, and that we've kind of had already. We must come to the end of self. The way of salvation cannot come through human reform. And, and I'm afraid that this is something that can easily get us, if we're not careful, as we are born and raised in a setting where we're taught the scripture, we're taught what is right, we're taught what is wrong, we know pretty much how to act because we see people all around us acting out, or not, we see people all around us living the Christian life. Hopefully they're not all acting out the Christian life. The people around us are living the Christian life, and we see it, and we, we mimic it. If we're not careful, we can do that, and we can almost get to the place where we, we think we have it pretty together. But sooner or later, it's going to show up, right? Because uh, we don't really have the spirit within us. So we need to really get to the end of self. It, uh, human reform is not going to do it. We can reform and we can reform and reform. Uh, we're never going to get it. 
Death is irreparable. We need a cure from death, every one of us. So those are some of the requirements. Maybe you think of some others as well, but let's move on here. How does the new birth happen? Well, first of all, God calls. John 6, says, No man can come to me except the Father draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So I believe without, without fail, the new birth can't even take place. We can't even come to God unless he draws us. The good news is, God is absolutely faithful in this drawing. He is faithful. He will draw every human being to himself because the, the desire of God for his human race is that, I believe, is that all humans would be in heaven with him. It, says, it said there in, uh, in our scripture verse that, you know, he, Jesus died so that anyone who believes could be saved. John 3.16. And so God does call. He's faithful in this, but it does need to happen. If God calls, we need to listen and respond. It, we're told that in Scripture that it's not promised that he will always, as a verse that says, he will not always strive with man. And there's indications that, that, and there's verses that say that eventually he could turn us over to a reprobate mind or he can turn us loose to do our own biddings if that's what we insist on doing. God is, is that good shepherd who calls his sheep, okay? He doesn't get behind us and drive us into the fold. So I don't have a lot to say about how this happens other than God calls. And then secondly, it is a mystery. Ephesians 5.32 talks about that mystery. says, this is a great mystery. When he's talking about marriage, he says, it's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We can't really understand. The Bible says that when a man and a woman get married, they become one flesh. Ah, every couple I've ever seen still look like two human beings, right? Explaining the one flesh is a little bit difficult, actually. And, it, and that's kind of what he's saying here. It's a mystery. But he said it's like Christ and the church. They are one, but they're two entities. The church is sitting here. Christ is in heaven. Right? But they're one. We can't really understand it. Christ is, we, we, under, we, need, we can't totally understand Christ indwelling the believer. And this is a problem. I, I am uh, involved in a, in a man's life that, that we moved down from New York City a number of years ago. And, uh, you know, seems like he wants to believe, but he's still working at it from a little bit the wrong angle. He's trying to figure it out. And some of these things can't be figured out. It takes faith. We have to have faith. We have to step forward in faith. I don't quite get it. I've seen it before. I've seen it in other people. That people that intellectually enjoy or insist on figuring things out intellectually struggle or, or chafe a little bit at the new birth idea because it's not something we can actually figure out. We can see it in other people. John 3, 8, in our text there. Can you understand the wind? It was a little windy around where we were today, a little more so than the last couple days. I don't know how it was here. Um, but I've never seen wind. I don't know about you. We look, out the windy, we look out the window and we say, it's windy outside. Well, how do you know it's windy? 
Can you see wind? I can't. We sure see the results of it, right? And we can tell about how windy it is by the results we see when we look out the window or we step outside and feel it. Um, but we can't really understand. I don't know. I'm not sure if I've ever really, I've heard some scientific explanation of wind, but it's an interesting concept. The cross bears the sinner's judgment. It proclaims the sinner's worthlessness. If you can imagine yourself hanging on the cross, nailed fast, you can't get down. You're worthless right there. It crucifies the sinner. It kills you. It, the cross kills you spiritually. And then it releases the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. I really like that statement. The cross bears the sinner's judgment, proclaims the sinner's worthlessness, crucifies the sinner, and releases the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the other part of this being a mystery is that the new birth happens completely within the spirit of man. It is within the spirit. Okay? It's not something that happens in the body. It will show in the body. It will show on the face. It will show in actions. It will show in all kinds of things. But it, the, the new birth didn't happen in the physical. It happened in the spirit, in the spirit of the person. Third question, how does it happen? Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. It will happen when the Father calls and we answer. It will happen when Christ knocks and we open. You can take your pick here. It will happen when we truly believe these things, and maybe others, but I think especially these things. When we truly believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that He will help us, that, he, that we can't make it on our own, and that there is no other way to salvation. There might be some other little intricate things that we need to believe, but ultimately we got to come to that place. And that's why I say, the new birth experience can vary quite a bit in people's lives. In some, people, in some people's lives, it's a process. It's a, it's a, it's a chronological process they go through. And in others, it's like the light, just, like the light got flipped on, and, and, I, and I'm saved now. But these are things we need to believe, that Christ is God's Son, that He, that he will help us. He will save us. He is able and uh, that, that, you know, we can't do it ourselves and that there is no other way. In, in the world we live in today, the, the, uh, the world at large would like us all to believe that there are however many religions and somehow we're all going to wind up in a good place or in the same place or whatever. There's all kinds of mixed signals. The Christianity is is a relationship, not a religion, actually, but it is exclusive, and it's exclusively found in this book, the Bible. And for that purpose, I believe Christianity is largely persecuted and not accepted in the religious spectrum so much. You know, we, we have to, 
It's getting that way in the United States, right? We have to build, we have to build mosques. We have to do all these things. I say we, but it, it's proper to do these things so we can accommodate these other religions. But Christianity can hardly be tolerated. Why is that? I believe that. I, to, me, to me, that's one of the best proofs that Christianity is the only way. It's the way. And it's the only way. Because whenever there's exclusivity, um, that's not well liked. All right, we need to look at the results yet of the new birth. What are the results? We become one with the Father through Jesus Christ. John 17, verse 21, Jesus said that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. God's desire is that through His Son, Jesus Christ, every human being would be saved and would become one, made reconciled, that they become reconciled back to the Father, where the human race originally began. So we become one with the Father when we are born again. We receive eternal life. The second thing, we receive eternal life. Um, Romans 5. The clock is racing me again tonight. I think I should read these verses, though. Romans 5, verses 6 to 11. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So we receive eternal life through the new birth. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have a choice between receiving wages or a gift. And we don't want the wages of sin. But we would love to have the gift of eternal life. But it requires something out of us. So the results are we become one with the Father, we receive eternal life, and third, we receive the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, just flip back a couple pages there. Romans 8 and verse 8. So, they, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that, you have, that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have the Spirit of Christ... Have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the, whole, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, but if ye... If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
And you could turn that verse around and say, as many as are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Okay? If, and so when we are become a new, a new creature in Christ, when we become born again, we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, inside of us. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have the Holy Spirit. Real quick, I just want to go down over what what the scripture talks about with the Holy Spirit is a beautiful thing. You know, we have, as Christians, we have access to, to the best, actually. We have access to the best in our life. The Holy Spirit indwells us, and the Holy Spirit is likened unto seven different things in scripture. It is likened unto a dove. What is a dove indicating? A dove stands for purity. It stands for peace. Think about how the Holy Spirit does those things in our life. These are all results. If, if, you're, if you're here tonight and you've, you don't have Christ in your heart and you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life because you've never been actually spiritually born again, um, these are things that could be part of your life. It, it doesn't just happen, doesn't necessarily happen all so quick. And it does happen quickly, but we have to grow into these things too. But these are all things that could be part of our life as a child of God. Uh, purity and peace. Um, the, uh, the Holy Spirit is likened unto water in Scripture. Water, water indicates or stands for life. You can't live without water. It stands for cleansing. You use water every day, right, to clean up. And it stands for abundance. Think of all the water. I, what is the earth? Three quarters water or something? And water is just everywhere, even though when we have a drought, it doesn't seem like it is, right? But it actually is. Water is everywhere. It's so abundant. Um, and that's how the Holy Spirit is. Uh, the Holy Spirit is also um, likened unto oil. Oil stands for healing. It stands for anointing for service. And it stands for comfort. All these things are part of the Holy Spirit being in our life. The Holy Spirit is also um, likened unto a seal in Scripture. As in a stamp, a seal. Indicating ownership or identification. The Holy Spirit is also likened unto wind. We already had that. Indicating unseen power. We can't see the power, but we sure know the results of it. As you see places that have had hurricanes and tornadoes and so on. You can't see that power, but you sure can see the results. Number six, Holy Spirit is likened unto fire. Fire indicates presence have you ever stood too close to a fire and not known it i don't know it's possible you have to be pretty much numb in order for that to happen right if you get too close to fire you know it there's presence with fire and also fire stands for purification we know that fire is used for purification in certain processes and seventh, the Holy Spirit is likened unto a deposit or a down payment, which indicates a down payment or a pledge of ownership. When God gives you his spirit, he is telling you that this is what you have for now, but it means that you are mine, and it means that I am going to come again and I'm going to receive you to myself. 
The Holy Spirit is actually an indication. If you have the Spirit in your life, then there should be no doubt in your mind that Christ is coming again to get you because he already owns you. And it's an indication that he does. Through the new birth, we are recipients of a miracle, an amazing miracle. I think sometimes we don't think of the new birth enough as a miracle as we ought to. It is a miraculous event. The new birth will take anyone and make them what they were not before. It'll make them like Christ. It'll make them do things that they didn't do before. It'll make them stop doing things that they used to do. And it'll make them talk and act like Jesus or something similar. And it will make other people wonder what happened. It is very interesting to me as you read about Anabaptist history and, and when you read about people that became Christians and they went back to their workplace and within the first day were questioned about whether they had been whether they had been rebaptized or whether they had become a Christian because it was so obvious. I don't know what things were like. But I believe the world's a lot like that today. And so if we're, you know, if we're working somewhere and we're not a Christian and we become a Christian truly, our co-workers will know it. They have to know it. Have you received the miracle of salvation? That's the question tonight. Let's bow our heads to pray. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful miracle of salvation that you offer to us as each individual person that we can be born again of the Spirit, born into your kingdom, born into um, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we know that your scripture is clear, the word is clear that apart from that birth, we can't see the kingdom of Christ. And Lord, we want for all of us to be present in that day when we will be in heaven with you. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us not only to get saved, but to stay saved in our lives as we go from day to day. I pray, Lord, you would just continue to be with us. And if there is any here that, that need to make that commitment tonight, I pray you give them the courage and the faith that it takes to step forward and do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have an invitation.